This is OGR Rob, welcoming you to, um, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Fibber and Molly. This episode of Fibber McGee and Molly comes from March 18th, 1947. The McGees decide to meet someone out in the rain for some kind of special meeting, find out what that's all about, and that is our Miss Brooks. From September 26th, 1954, Mr. Lacer returns to Madison, and you bet your life, on October 18th, three days after my birth, 1950, the secret word is floor, F-L-O-O-R. Enjoy all these, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing. And the creeks don't rise. Stay safe. Enjoy. And enjoy your life. A song that's made the hit parade with jukebox, band, and trio is a lovely ditty of a dripping city called A Rainy Night in Rio. But brother and sister, in Wistful Vista, the rain is more wet than jolly. And out in the street, nearly drowned on their feet, are Fibber McGee and Molly. Your feet wet, kiddo? <laughs> well, as Bob Hope would say, I wouldn't say my feet are wet. But the USS Pennsylvania just sailed under my left instep. <laughs> you shouldn't want to stand out in the rain like this. Nor you either. Oh, I have to. i got to wait for a guy. I told him I'd meet him here, and I'm going to do it. Well, I'll wait, too. I'm curious to know which of your friends has webbed feet. <laughs> he didn't know it was going to rain like this. I agreed to meet him here in front of Kramer's drugstore, and I got a reputation for doing things on time. Also for buying things on time. You better get inside the drugstore and get some hot coffee, kiddo. You're wetter than a whale's tail. <laughs> no, thanks. I don't like Mr. Kramer's coffee. No? No. If Brazil ever found out what Mr. Kramer does to a coffee bean, the good neighbor policy would be bluey. <laughs> too strong or too weak? Why, it's blacker than the inside of a piccolo. Yeah. <laughs> they say somebody dumped a donut in it last week and lost two fingers. Mm. <laughs> wow. Did you see that lightning? I wish it would do that oftener or quit. <laughs> the flashes are too close together for comfort and too far apart to read by. Just what is this business, McGee? What's so important that you have to make like a mallard? <laughs> Confidential matter, Molly. Promise not to mention it to anybody. Why don't you grab a cab and go on home? Not a chance, dearie. 
If you can stand it, I can. Maybe we can get twin beds in the pneumonia ward. And speaking of pneumonia, look who's sloshing up the street. Old Doc Gamble, the old organ grinder. <laughs> Hi, Doc. Hello, Dr. Gamble. Well, hello there, Molly. Hello, Drippy. Great night for ducks. <laughs> you ought to know, being a quack. <laughs> Now, McGee, please. Well, my gosh, that was a pretty trite remark. Great night for ducks. <laughs> Leave it to the doctor to corn a phrase. <laughs> if I'd said it was a great night for fish, you'd have said I ought to know, being a physician and sturgeon. <laughs> I never joke about sturgeons, Fatso. They have a shad row to hold. Oh. <laughs> Boys, now this is positively the wettest humor that ever dripped on 14th Street. <laughs> what brings you out in a storm like this, Doctor? Hospital ran out of calcium wafers. The interns have been using them for poker chips. <laughs> so what? Does the staff surgeon have to wait out to the drugstore in a cloudburst every time they need a handful of pills? Well, as a matter of fact, I made a deal with Kramer on prescription when oh, I've come Oh, taking a cut on them, eh, Doctor? <laughs> you call that ethical? Does Morris Fishbine know what you, that you do that? <laughs> you better ease up or the medical association will paddle your big fat bitches with your own shingle. Oh, don't be like that, limber lip. I have a deal with Kramer that every time he can read my writing on a prescription, he owes me two bits. <laughs> well, how much does he owe you now, doctor? That's what worries me. I haven't made a nickel in three weeks. <laughs> I want to know what he's been giving my patients. Incidentally, do you two people have to stand out here in the rain? Yeah, we do. Or I do, anyway. Yes, and I do, too. I'm the kind of faithful wife you read about, Doctor, and almost never meet. <laughs> if my man has to stand in the rain to meet somebody on a business matter, there's little Molly, soggy but happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, love is a wonderful thing. Every time a ring goes over a finger, somebody has to knuckle down for the rest of his life. <laughs> oh, good night. See you both in an oxygen tent. <laughs> so long, old organ grinder. Uh, he's pretty cynical about marriage all of a sudden. Fifi Tremaine must have turned him down like a Pullman blanket. <laughs> hey, you better go on the drugstore, baby. You'll catch cold standing in this rain. Well, I guess I will go in and dry off a little, dearie. Fine. I'll call you as soon as this guy shows... Excuse me for interrupting, Mr. McGee, but can I ask your wife a question? Why, Lena! My gosh, Lena, I thought you were home doing the housework. Well, I was dusting the living room furniture, Mr. McGee, but something came up which I thought it would be advisable to get Mrs. McGee's opinion about it. Why, certainly, Lena. What came up that was so important? One of the springs in the sofa. <laughs> Came up right through the seat Oh, my well, What did you want to know about it, Lena? Well, Mr. McGee, my question is Should I dust the spring, too? <laughs> Why, of course, Lena Why not? This is as good a time as any to start your spring cleaning Gee <laughs> uh, whiz, don't you get it, kids? Lena says clean the spring And I says spring cleaning It's a very simple play Ain't simple... funny, McGee <laughs> Ain't? Not in this weather, anyhow. <laughs> Although, personally, I just love rainy weather. I go around just singing in the rain, just singing in the... 
Isn't that a beautiful piece? You know, my music teacher says I sing with such a pear-shaped tone. <laughs> a pear-shaped tone. Huh? He says it's shaped like a pair of old overshoes. <laughs> I guess he gets a boot out of hearing me. <laughs> my goodness, these are the wettest puddles I ever stood in. Well, no wonder your feet are wet in those satin slippers, Lena. My gosh, you ought to wear something sensible in weather like this. I should say so. Something with a Cuban heel. Oh, don't mention those things to me, Mrs. McGee. I had a terrible experience with a pair of Cuban heels last year. Really? Mm-hmm. Did you take a fall, Lena? Oh, did I ever fall. Something awful. And while I was trying to make up my mind which one to marry, they both went back to Cuba. <laughs> Look, you better go back to the house before you catch cold. Yes, grab a bus, Lee. Oh, my boyfriend will drive me home in his truck, honey. He works right around the corner in the electric shop. Oh, he must be your current boyfriend. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he's alternating between me and the girl next door. (laughs) Oh, my poor Ladislaus. Ladislaus. Ladislaus Schapowski. He's nine feet ten inches tall. Wow. Imagine that. Only two inches between me and a joke about a ten-foot pole. <laughs> well, I'll see you at the house, folks. Oh, zippity do My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. <laughs>
My feet are wet clear up to my shoulders. I hope Molly's getting dry in the drugstore. I wish that guy... Go- oh, hi, Latrivia. Hello, hello there, McGee. Let me stand in that doorway. Thank you. Quite a rain, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I see worse, Latrivia. When I was over in France with the Army in 1918 during the First World War, the big war, <laughs> I seen much worse rain than this. Really? Yeah. Stand inside the doorway here, McGee. You're getting soaked. I can't, Latrivia. I've got to stand out here where I can be seen. I'm meeting the guy here, and I don't want to miss him. Business matter. Must be very important business to make you expose yourself to this storm. Confidential matter, Latrivia, but as I was saying, one month over there in France, it rained day and night for 78 days. We drilled in rowboats. No officer would ride a horse unless it was a mudder. Why, it was mud up to our bayonets. Ever notice my skin, Latrivia? Not particularly. I've heard it said that it was thicker than most people's, <laughs> but I've made no personal observations. Well, next time you see me in the shower room at the Elks Club, take a gander at my epidermis, boy. <laughs> I got a complexion like a strawberry parfait. And you want to know why? Not badly enough to get insomnia about it. <laughs> well, sure, I'll tell you. That mud in France was a natural beauty clay. My company was made up of the toughest bums in America, the trivia. Ham and egg prize fighters, bootleggers, yeggs, railroad men, actors, bindle stiffs, and slum kids. And after six months of wallowing in that mud, we looked like chorus boys from the student prince. You don't say. Yes, sir. If I ain't telling the truth, may lightning strike. Well... Maybe not chorus boys, exactly, but that mud was sure wonderful stuff. Made a lot of trouble for the 7th Cavalry. They rode through that goo one day, and all the brands healed up on their horses. Took them six months to sort them out again. Very interesting. When I was in the Coast Guard in the Solomon Islands, I had... One buddy of mine took a knapsack full of that mud home. Took it home with him and had a chemist analyze it. He was going to manufacture it synthetically and make a fortune. And what was the laboratory analysis? Dirt, 72%, water, 16%, and cigarette butts, 9%. (laughs) That's 97%. What was the other 3%? A second lieutenant named Plotnik that got lost in the mud here. (laughs) Very hard to duplicate, so the experiment was a flop. What was you saying about the Solomon Islands? Well, I was a chief gunner's mate on an LST. I'll never forget I... one guy in my outfit. A guy named Herbert. At roll call, we always gave our last name first, you see. Adams, John, Berkowitz, Peter, Clanahan, Patrick, McGee, Fibber, like that. See? Yes, yes, I'm quite familiar. Well, sir, Herbert's first name was Marshall. And the first time he says Herbert Marshall, the captain walks over, gets his autograph, makes him a sergeant, and gives him a 72-hour pass to Paris. <laughs> Excuse me, Latrivia, that you were saying? I was saying that while I was on an LST off the Solomon Islands in 1943... Ah, oh, boy, so... the time sure flies. <laughs> I met one of them guys from my outfit just the other day, a fellow named uh, Crantwell or Hobblefrost or something. And he... Oh, oh you got to go, Latrivia? Yes, yes, I have. An appointment up the street. Oh, stick around. Molly's inside the drugstore here getting dry, and I haven't got anybody to talk to. Tell me some more about when you were in the Solomon Islands on the... <laughs> Down there on that LSMFT. (laughs) 
L-S-T. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Well, one day, as we were passing through the Sunder Straits... Boy, that we were... must have been rugged. <laughs> I remember one time I was corporal of the guard. <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, were you in the service, Latrivia? <laughs> no. No, McGee. I was home, hoarding sugar. Good night. Trivia's sure full interesting story. I could listen to him all night. Doggone it, I wonder when that guy's going to show up for this appointment. He was due here an hour ago, and if he don't Hello, show up... Hello, pal. What's the idea of standing out here in the rain? Oh, hi, Junior. I promised a friend of mine I'd meet him here in front of the drugstore, and I don't want to let him down. Oh, wouldn't he have sense enough to look inside the drugstore? I got that angle covered, Junior. Molly's in there. <laughs> if he comes in and asks for me, she'll tell him I'm out here. Oh. How was that again? <laughs> Quite a rain we're getting, it isn't. Yeah. Should be good for the rhubarb, but what are you prowling around in this mess? <laughs> well, my wife was hungry for some candy, and Kramer has the kind she likes. Peanut clusters. You mean she sends you out in a storm like this for a dad-ratted sack of peanut clusters? Certainly not. I insisted on going. Oh. She even tried to hide my umbrella to keep me from going out. She did, eh? Where'd she hide it? In the sleeve of my raincoat. Mm. <laughs> Very clever of her. When you've been married as long as I have, Judy, you'll learn one thing. Yeah. The best way to let a woman think she's getting her own way is to let her have it. <laughs> well, my wife's a great kid. Fine housekeeper, too. Johnson's wax on everything. Oh. Floors, furniture, woodwork, lampshades, windowsills, every surface that needs protection against dust and dirt and dampness. I'll bet you made her sign an agreement to that effect before you married her. <laughs> I did not. Her mother always used Johnson's wax, too, and her mother's mother. The family was noted for hospitality. Mine was, too, Junior. Very sociable. My granddad made some elderberry wine that really broke the ice at parties. <laughs> broke a wall out of the fruit cellar one night, too. <laughs> hey, did you know that my mother-in-law insisted that part of my wife's hope chest be three cans of Johnson's wax? No, but I could easily... She called it. the girl aside one day and said, Mari, she said, you're marrying a fine young man. And then you came along and took her away from him. <laughs> That's great work, boy. I always She say. was talking about me. Oh. She said, Mari, she said, you're marrying a fine young man. Look, Junior, look. Never pin your medals in the same place twice. <laughs> Makes holes in your coat. <laughs> well, anyway, she said there's nothing a man loves more than a well-kept home. Yep. And Johnson's wax is absolutely essential for that. It's a very symbol of smart housekeeping and hospitality. It protects, it preserves, it beautifies. Hey, uh... Waxy. Yes. <laughs> Look, there's nobody here but just me and you. Mm-hmm. And, and I've heard all that. <laughs> you can relax. Go get your wife her candy and beat it home, Toots. Okay, okay. I sure hope Kramer has some peanut clusters. The Justice of the Peace gave us some the day we got married. Remind me to tell you about that wedding sometime. Yeah? Yes, the justice had a dog that kept jumping up on us all through the ceremony. Uh-huh. We were probably the first newlyweds to have a pup stand up with the bridegroom. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I know a guy in Peoria. As wants... my wife always says, it proved the old saying, a dog is friend's best man. Oh. See you later, pal. <laughs> Oh, 
tiresome. I wonder if that guy understood I was meeting him on Tuesday night. Maybe he thought I said Monday or Wednesday. Oh, I distinctly remember saying Tuesday night. Well, I'll wait a little while longer and... Oh, hi, wimp, old man. Hello, folks. It's not folks this time, wimp. There's just me. Molly's in the drugstore getting dry. My goodness. I don't know when I've seen it rain like this. I wish I could go home and get into some dry clothes. Well, why don't you? Sweetie Face locked me out. <laughs> Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. <laughs> you mean she locked you out of your own house on a night like this, Wimp? What for? Because I made a teensy-weensy little joke, is all. What was the joke? Well, <laughs> I thought it was rather amusing myself. <laughs> Sweetie Face told me to run to the grocery store and get some beets for dinner and... I told her I hated to carry them home in all that rain. Why? Because. <laughs> because it wasn't a fit night out for man or beast. <laughs> well, I don't think that'll get you more than 200 on the Colgate laugh meter, Wimp. <laughs> wasn't bad enough to get locked out for. What are you going to do now? Well, I think I'll go to the public library and read a good bird book. <laughs> A good bird book. Do you know any good bird books, Mr. McGee? Well, now, let me think. Hey, how about Robin Hood? Robin Hood wasn't a bird, Mr. McGee. No? He was a bandit. Oh. A bold, bad bandit. Oh, yes. Well, then, oh, I know. Mother Goose. Oh, I've read that. Oh, dear, and I'd hope to do some reading about birds tonight, too. You know what I'm going to do? What? <laughs> I'll go in the drugstore, get some corn plasters, and look at the blue jays. Pretty <laughs> face can't keep me from my hobbies. Goodbye now. So long. It's a good day. Throw all your cares away for one day, cause it's a good day. Oh, man. Yes, it's a good day for singing a song, and it's a good day for moving along. Yes, it's a good day. How could anything go wrong? A good day from morning till night. Yes, it's a good day.
standing here and it's raining harder than ever. I hope a lot of people have got them new pens. This whole town will be doing business underwater tomorrow. <laughs> Seen anything of your friend, Harry? Oh, hi, Molly. No, he hasn't showed up yet. Boy, am I drenched. The next time I make an appointment to meet a guy someplace... Oh, oh hi, Eddie. Hi, McGee. Who was that? Uh, Eddie Eckertube. He's a singer. But as I was saying, next time I make an appointment to meet a guy someplace... Oh, hi, Noxie. Hello, McGee. Who was that? Noxie Drivenwall. Another singer. Next time I make an appointment and meet a guy someplace, I'll... Oh, hi, Boogie. Hi, Fib. <laughs> Who's that, another singer? Yeah, Boogie Balaprop. <laughs> Next time I make an appointment... That was quite a coincidence, wasn't it? Three singers going fast in a row? Oh, no, that, that, that's a trio. They sing at McNally's Tavern. Oh, why don't they walk together? My gosh, kiddo, they got their arms around each other's shoulders all day long. This is a luxury for them. Just what is it you're standing here in the rain for, McGee? Hmm? I don't like to be inquisitive about your private business affairs, but what's all the mystery? No mystery, Snooky, just a confidential matter. He didn't want to discuss. Who didn't? A friend of mine passing through town. Wired me yesterday and made this appointment. Guy by the name of Fred Nittany from Starved Rock, Illinois. Heavenly days, Fred Nittany. You heard me speak of him before? Why, of course, you and he were in vaudeville together. That's the guy, McGee and Nittany, songs and witty sayings. Clean entertainment for the whole family. Well, I wish he'd come. I've always wanted to meet Fred Nittany. I wish he'd come, too, and let me out of this rain. You got a piece of rubber hose with you? For what? Siphon out my inside pocket. <laughs> my wallet's getting waterlogged. I got a floater policy on it, but it keeps going under it. Oh, hi, Mahoney. Well, praise the saints, and if it isn't the little Scott himself and the Mahoney. Well, it's just dirty weather we're having, is it not? Little people themselves will be hiding under their mushroom. And if they if they've any room left, I'll get under there with them, officer. <laughs> and what would be bringing a delicate flower like yourself out on a night like this, Makushla? Himself, sir. Yep, got to meet a guy, Mahoney. Confidential business, important. Oh, important, is it? And aren't you ashamed of yourself, dragging the little one out to her death of cold? Huh? <laughs> Look at the little Colleen standing there, her with the soft winds off the lakes of Killarney in her throat. And the water off Kramer's roof down her neck. <laughs> <laughs> well, just say the word, you poor child, and I'll take me nightstick to the dirty little tyrant and beat the... Ah, oh, <laughs> Soggy ticket salesman. Uh, it's all right, officer. It's all right. I insisted on coming with him. Ah, uh, what a pity. Nothing would give me more pleasure than to... Ah, uh, but never let it be said that Mahoney beat up a citizen with a witness standing by. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be splashing along now. Yeah, do that. Good night, officer. Good night to you both, and may your corn survive the cold. <laughs> McGee, you're shivering. This is a lot of nonsense. Well, gee whiz, Molly, I made an appointment with Fred to meet me here, and I'd hate to think that he thought that I'd... What time was the appointment for? 7.30. And it's 9.15 now. Come on, let's go home. You go home, Molly. Get a cab and run along. I'll stick around a while. 
But I'll promise you one thing. What's that? If that guy don't show up by 11 o'clock, he can go borrow the 20 bucks from somebody else. Oh. Turn in a moment. Have you seen any of the full-page color advertisements on Johnson's Glow Coat now running in the magazines? You know, the ones that show kitchen floors that are half dull and half shining? Well, now, more than any words of mine, these photographs show what a really bright shine you can look forward to when you use Johnson's self-polishing Glow Coat. It's no trouble at all to use Glow Coat. You simply apply and let dry. But all those results. Without rubbing or buffing, Glow Coat dries to a gleaming wax polish that makes linoleum look really beautiful. It brings out the colors, freshens up the pattern, and leaves all your floors wonderfully smooth and even. And Glow Coat is such a work saver. Dirt and spilled things wipe up so easily with a damp cloth. Regular use of self-polishing wax adds years to the life of linoleum, too. So why not make a note right now to get some Johnson self-polishing Glow Coat the very next time you shop? Remember, Glow Coat is the floor finish that gives a brighter shine. I still think it was pretty silly standing in the rain all that time just to lend the man money. And then he doesn't show up. Oh, well, I owed old Fred a favor anyhow, Molly. You did? Sure. I asked him to lend me some money one time, and it was raining just about like tonight. What happened? Oh, I waited in the rain three hours, and he never showed up that time either. <laughs> this makes us even, and... Hey, wait a minute, that... That's not the... Listen, dry yourself off and come to bed. Oh, good night. Good night, all. <laughs> this is Arlo Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night.
Retired local business tycoon returns to complete high school education at Madison. Gets special permission from state board. That morning, I found myself teaching 42 normal adolescents and one 62-year-old juvenile delinquent. (laughs) The following Friday morning, I was telling my landlady, Mrs. Davis, about my strange new student when she said... Connie, you say this new boy is 62 years old? That's right, Mrs. Davis. Goodness, he's taking quite a while to finish high school, isn't he? (laughs) What does he expect to be when he grows up? A little old man. And he doesn't have too far to go. You see, Mrs. Davis, Mr. Lathrop was an important business executive locally, but he always bemoaned the fact that he'd never completed high school in his youth. Oh, I see. The war interrupted his education. (laughs) Yes, he probably would have completed it if the North hadn't gone to war with the South. (laughs) Well, I give him credit, Connie. I was discussing it with Widow Henderson only last week. A person without learning nowadays is lost. We both wish we completed our schooling. A good high school education never hurt anybody. I'm not so sure. If he were in charge, he would run Madison High as if it were a subsidiary of General Motors. (laughs) Instead of a principal, there would be a corporation president. The student council would be the board of directors. And the teachers, what would they be? The labor problem. (laughs) Now, actually, we didn't get around to the teachers. Well, of course, you can't do those things, can you? Who knows? Besides being very influential in town, Mr. Lathrop is a very close friend of Mr. Stone, the head of the board. And even Mr. Conklin keeps on his toes when Lathrop is around. Oh, I'll answer it, Mrs. Davis. Hello? Yeah, Miss Brooks, Walter. I'm sorry, but I won't be able to drive you to school today on account of an athletic meeting I have to attend. Oh, that's right, Walter. After all, you are manager of the football team. Correction, Miss Brooks. As of yesterday, I am the majority stockholder. (laughs) What? Yeah, Mr. Lathrop Incorporated us. We are now the Amalgamated Football, Basketball, Soccer, Ice Hockey, and Ping Pong Corporation of Madison High. Really? When do you sell out to Howard Hughes? <laughs> but since you're not driving me to school, Walter, I'd better say goodbye now and get started for the bus. Oh, you don't have to go by bus, Miss Brooks. Old Blue Chips is calling for you in his brand new Cadillac. Mr. Lathrop calling for me? Sure. When he heard I couldn't make it, he volunteered. He says he'll get a real kick out of driving his teacher to school. Yeah, he wants to do it permanently. Well, I'll see you at school, Miss Brooks. By the time I get there, I'll probably be incorporated. (laughs) Goodbye, Walter. Did I hear right, Connie? Is Mr. Lathrop picking you up? Not only that, but he may never put me down. (laughs) He plans on doing it every day. Oh, here he is now. I'll get it. Madison, oh, Madison, hail to thee, oh, Madison. <laughs> oh, my name is Brooks. I feel like a kid again, a gay, light-hearted 15-year-old. Well, wipe your feet and come in, Sonny. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 of course. Uh, Sonny, I mean Mr. Lathrop. <laughs> Meet my landlady, Mrs. Davis. Davis, 
I just got carried away. It, it's so seldom I meet a high school kid of my own age. <laughs> Boy, would I like to carry his books to school. But, uh, madam, it's up to a boy to ask a girl to carry her book. Well, she's not taking any chances. <laughs> now, I think we'd better... Mrs. Davis, stop staring at Mr. Lathrop and close your mouth. <laughs> but uh, not so close to my arm. Um, I'd better be leaving for school, Miss Brooks. I have a business efficiency idea I want to discuss with Mr. Conklin. That is, it uh, directly concerns Mr. Conklin. Good. We've been trying to get rid of him for years. <laughs> I mean, uh, we'd better be going now. Well, uh, goodbye, Mrs. Davis. I'll, uh, I'll be seeing you. When? Mrs. Davis, please. Please let go of Mr. Lathrop's tie. Come on, Mr. Lathrop, while you still can. Miss Brooks. Miss Brooks, just a moment. Hmm? Mr. Boynton, what are you doing hiding behind that door? Uh, that's just what I'm doing, hiding. What happened? Violate your parole? Oh, <laughs> Believe me, this is no joking matter. Uh, I'll tell you about it, only... Do you mind stepping behind this door with me? Mr. Boynton, I'll step behind any door with you. <laughs> there. Now, what's on your mind, I hope? Uh, what's bothering you? Oh, gosh. My only chance is that Mr. Lathrop doesn't come in here. Oh, I doubt if he will. This is the female faculty room. What? <laughs> oh, jump it, you hold it Let's get out of here. You just jumped even faster than Jehoshaphat. <laughs> Mr. Lathrop is in class by now. What's this all about? Miss Brooks, a man of Mr. Lathrop's age and experience doesn't belong in a public high school. He's too set in his ways, and he isn't doing the school or the students any good. Frankly, I wish there were some way of getting rid of him. Why, Mr. Boynton, what a horrible thing to say. At least give the man a few months. Oh, I admit he may have his little quirks, but he certainly deserves a chance. Little quirks? You call it a little quirk when, presumably for efficiency reasons, when he persuaded Mr. Conklin to move my new biology lab? Like I say, how can we get rid of Mr. Lathrop as quickly as possible? <laughs> Mr. Conklin moved your biology lab? Late yesterday afternoon. And you know how long you've tried to get our rooms together, Miss Brooks. For practically as long as I've tried to get us together. It's been quite a while, Miss <laughs> But what else could they use your lab for? And who could be moving in there? Mr. Boynton, this is one thing I simply won't let pass. I'm going to Mr. Conklin's office this minute and tell him exactly what I think of his latest action. Uh, uh, shall I go in with you? No, you'd better wait here. Somebody's got to catch me as I come out. I'll see you in a few minutes. Mr. Conklin, I think moving Mr. Boynton's lab is the most unfair thing I've ever... Oh, I agree with you, Miss Brooks. So do I. Walter, Harriet, where's Mr. Conklin? Search me, Miss Brooks. Oh, no, he'd find a better hiding place than that. <laughs> oh, you don't know. Well, what are you two doing here? Oh, we're moving Daddy's furniture and other belongings into his new office, Miss Brooks. Mr. Lathrop used his influence and persuaded Daddy to move for efficiency reasons. But where is he moving to, I'm terrified to venture a guess. And Mr. Boynton's lab. Eee, next to me. Your father's moving next to me. 
Oh, excuse me, kids. I've got to find Mr. Lathrop at once. What do you want to see him for? To beg him to use his influence just once more and move me to Clay City High. (laughs) Obviously, something had to be done about Mr. Lathrop. So with typical courage, at noon, fearless Osgood called an emergency conference which was to be completely open and above board, down in the boiler room. <laughs> I arrived after lunch and knocked. Who goes there? <laughs> Friend or foe? It's me, sir, Miss Brooks. The secret password, please? Lathrop must go. Enter, friend. Come in. Come in and join us, Miss Brooks, and don't be nervous. We're all down here now, and I'm sure Lathrop doesn't suspect a thing. We can hold our meeting in strict secrecy, so don't worry. Don't worry at all. Just relax. Relax completely. Relax. I'd relax better, sir, if you'd stop staring at that door as if you expected Lathrop to walk in through the keyhole. Oh, keep him out! Keep him out! Keep him out! Oh! Oh. That's just my nerves, Miss Brooks. Nerves, that's all. That's all. (laughs) Mr. Conklin, can we get started with the meeting? After all, this is the boiler room, sir. I don't know about the others, but I'm getting rather warm. All right, right, Boynton, let's get started. Now, Miss Brooks, uh, sit down next to Mr. Boynton. That ought to cool him off. Uh, yes. <laughs> all right, now, attention, everybody. We all know the reason for this emergency meeting, namely to consider ways to kick, uh, ease Mr. Lathrop out of medicine. Now, I, for one, readily admit that I was the first to be taken in by the man's corporation ideas as applied to high school administration. But on sober reflection, I decided that I could never be happy as a minority stockholder. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Denton, will ye kindly shut ye biggie trappy? <laughs> Sir, I'll thank you to watch your language. You are talking to a director of five corporations. Oh, go water your stock. (laughs) Oh, good grief, Mr. Lathrop's got me talking like him. Now, to proceed. I want suggestions that you... Gosh, who's that? That must be Mr. Moss of the math department. I invited him to come down here, too. (laughs) Who goes there, friend or foe? What's the password, please? Lathrop must go. Enter, friend. I'm glad you could make it, Mr. Lathrop. Well, we've already started the big meeting, but as you know, its purpose is to get rid of one of the busiest and biggest busybodies this school has ever had. And I know you'll have some ideas. Glad you can make it, Mr. Lathrop! Oh, Discussing this meeting with Miss Perkins, and I just couldn't resist. 
That's one of the reasons I, I came back to high school. I love secret fraternity meetings. Uh, well, this isn't really a meeting, Mr. Lather, but it's, it's just a friendly little bull session. But, uh, Miss Brooks, uh... So there's a friendly little cow here and there. <laughs> well, actually, Mr. Lather, it's a, a business conference. That's what it is, a business conference. <laughs> business conference, that's wonderful. Well, let's start with selling. And here at Madison, we're selling education. Right? Now, sound plant operation calls for maximum sales with economy of reserves. And after much research, I have found, for instance, that uh, Madison could function just as efficiently if we combine some classes and, let us say, drop an English teacher or two. Follow me, Mr. Conklin? Like a cocker spaniel, puppy follows its mother. Down, Rover. <laughs> Mr. Lathrop. Silence, Miss Brooks. Go on, Mr. Lathrop. I'm lingering on your every word. Well, now, uh, furthermore, I intend to show Charlie Stone why it would be good business practice to eventually let the student body run the school and let the principal go. <laughs> Well, it's a wise cocker spaniel who knows its own mother. But, Mr. Lathrop, you, you wouldn't. Oh, really? Scott, it's time for my history class. I'll see you all later. Oh, Madison, my Madison, Did you hear him? Oh, a man like that shouldn't try to bring his methods to high school. He's simply trying to recapture his past. He doesn't belong with the kids. He belongs with his own generation. Hey, wait a minute. His generation. Yes, why not? Why not what? Listen, if we can surround Mr. Lathrop with elderly people in his class, he may decide to quit. And I think I know just the elderly people to join him. Uh, Miss Brooks, permit me to remind you, I am running a high school here, not a rest home for 83-year-old adolescents. Yeah, boy, at this rate, I won't remember Madison for its ivy-covered walls, but its ivy-covered students. <laughs> desperate diseases require desperate remedies. Uh, just how would your plan work, Miss Brooks? Well, I'm fairly certain I can persuade Mrs. Davis and the widow Henderson to join his class. And you think that would do it, eh? Mr. Conklin, when those two flappers get to work on Mr. Lathrop, by this time tomorrow, he may decide to complete his high school education in Mexico. All right, class, we'll come to order, please. But, uh, Miss Brooks, I'm the only one here. Uh, where is the uh, rest of the class? The rest of the class? Oh, well, you've given us such a wonderful idea by returning to school that Mr. Conklin has decided to form a new class around you, Mr. Lathrop. They should be arriving any moment now. A, uh, a new class? Madison, oh, Madison, Oh, here comes one of the kids now. Hello, teacher, dear. That's a kid? <laughs> you remember Mr. Lathrop, don't you, Maggie? Do I? Hello, Sue Man. 
Goodness, every time I see him, my bobby socks slide up and down like a Venetian blind. <laughs> oh, I'm going to enjoy this class, Miss Brooks. Are all the kids as gone as this one? <laughs> watch our manners, honey. <laughs> Little Maggie is in that stage, you know. What stage? Between Eddie Fisher and Barry Fitzgerald. <laughs> Maggie, I noticed you brought your ironing and your laundry board with you. Mr. Lathrop, will you be a good boy and help Maggie stretch the laundry line across the room and then help her hang up the wash? Hang up her wash? Oh, the dear boy's shy. Don't worry, honey. I only wear full winter woolies. (laughs) (laughs) Will I have to be doing this every day? Oh, goodness, no. Tomorrow, Maggie has promised to bring her dressmaking stuff to class. But, Miss Brooks, I don't have a dummy. Well, why worry? With Mr. Lathrop here, your problem is solved. You mean you expect me to model dresses? Only the ones for day wear. Surely you don't mind helping out a little, because we do need... Hello, teacher. I'm sorry if I'm a little late. Oh, little Penelope Henderson. (laughs) Right in, dear. This is another one of the new kids, Mr. Lathrop. Oh, how sweet. I see you brought little Horace with you today. Yes, I sit with my daughter's baby every afternoon. Hey, who is that gorgeous hunk of kid there? Mr. Lathrop, Pete. Penelope, you keep those fat hands of yours off him. I saw him first. <laughs> now, Maggie, oh, please excuse old Magnus Lathrop. She's always a bit irritable until her social security check comes in. <laughs> oh, look who's talking. The girl who remembers Lincoln's mother. <laughs> Just hold him by the head. (laughs) Why is he crying? I am holding him by the head. I know, but I didn't tell you to let go of the rest of his body. Mr. Lathrop, how do you like the new kids in class? Well, now, uh, Miss Brooks, frankly, I, uh... Aren't there any younger people in this class? <laughs> well, you couldn't ask for anything younger than that. Now, Penelope, I see you brought your knitting with you, so we'll let Mr. Lathrop hold the baby during the rest of the period. Oh, no, Miss Brooks, must I? Now, Mr. Lathrop, is that nice? After all, you brought your business ideas into Madison, and we accepted them. Certainly you can't mind if these other kids bring their way of life into our school, too. Now, Penelope, sit down. Any place. How can I? Little Horace is already in Dream Boy's lap. (laughs) Penelope Henderson, I told you to keep away from him. I saw him first, and I'm sitting on him. Up. 
Just one more word, and I'll expose the entire history of your liver. Penelope to stop flirting. Flirting? Who's flirting? You are, Penelope Henderson. You're a flirt and you've always been a flirt. Ever since you buried your fourth husband. (laughs) Look who's talking. You've been boy crazy ever since you reached 65. (laughs) Come here, dreamboat. She turned 70. <laughs> I'm certain you two will get along. Never mind, never mind. Here's your baby, Mrs. Henderson. I, I've decided I've had enough of high school. I am going to reopen my steel plant. Oh, oh, please stay, honey. If you do, I'll let you dip my pigtails in the inkwell. Ooh, what a revolting thought. <laughs> I'm getting there. Well, what's going on in here? As I was passing in the hall, it sounded like some sort of a rumpus. Why, why Mr. Lathrop, you're all disheveled. But I don't understand. Well, maybe you can understand this. I'm leaving Madison, Mr. Conklin. I'll write you all about it. Goodbye. <laughs> well, you've done it, Miss Brooks. You've done it. Wonderful, simply wonderful. But how did you do it? Mr. Lathrop looked as if he'd been in some sort of a fight. You've heard of the battle of the sexes, Mr. Conklin. Why, yes, but what's that got to do with it? Well, Mr. Lathrop couldn't stand being used for ammunition. Now, here's our star, Eve Arden. Well, Mr. Lathrop found high school quite a headache, so he went back to the steel business. Thank you so much, Mrs. Davis, for your cooperation, and you too, Mrs. Henderson. And you too, Horace. (laughs) Well, you're free to go home now. Oh, we're not going home. What? No, indeed, we're staying. We signed up for a high school course, and we're going to get it. But, but you can't stay. The only reason we brought you here was to help get rid of Mr. Lathrop and his corporation practices. 
Well, Mr. Conklin, we'd just better resign ourselves to it. Resign ourselves? Resign ourselves to what? Instead of the Madison High Corporation, we're the Madison High Day Nursery. cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Gloria McMillan, Jim Backus, Verna Felton, and Billy Gould. Eve Arden, starring as our Miss Brooks, will be back again next week at this same time. Join us then, won't you? Our Miss Brooks is another presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is floor. F-L-O-O-R. Really? You bet your life! The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... That's me, Groucho Marx! Well, here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples. Fetterman, whose place to try for? Well, we asked if there were any high school students here tonight, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected uh, Miss Donna Eberhard and Claire Thompson. Point in, folks. I'd like you to meet Groucho Marx right over here. Welcome, kids, for the soda Plymouth dealers, and if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Uh, Donna Eberhard, huh? And Claire Thompson. Oh, nice names. Uh, high school students? Yeah. Uh, what high school do you attend, Donna? Glenice High School. Did anybody ever tell you you had very pretty blue eyes, Donna? No, they didn't. You don't mind if I don't uh, believe what you just said? I don't care. <laughs> That's what I like, indifference in a woman. <laughs> how old are you, Donna? Seventeen. Seventeen, huh? Mm-hmm. And how old are you, Claire? Eighteen. Eighteen. Well, that makes eighteen, seventeen, and Brian Swansea, fifteen. Well, I guess I'm just a generation behind you two, huh? Donna, would you say I belong to your father's generation? Mm, yes, I would, because my father's often said that his father used to take him to your movies. Well, that's true. They used to exhibit our pictures in a covered wagon right outside of Sioux City. And after the show, we'd all go over to Custer's Stamp, the last stamp was in How old is your grandfather? Oh, about 74. That's me, okay. <laughs> now, Donna, what would you like to be when you graduate? You're not going to be a diplomat. That's... <laughs> Since that field is closed to you, what do you crave uh, in the way of a vocation? I'd like to be a nurse. A nurse? Mm-hmm. 
I've had a pain in my back for the last two years. <laughs> what kind of a nurse? Just a practical, registered practical? nurse. Practical? Well, aren't they all practical? <laughs> they are when they talk to me. I <laughs> have no idea how practical those are. <laughs> and Claire, what, what is your ambition? Oh, I want to be an FBI agent. Are, are you uh, studying towards that ambition, Claire? Yeah. What way? What are you doing to perfect yourself for this? Oh, playing football. <laughs> well, I take subjects for it, a few. Huh? I take a few subjects for it, like math and a few things. Uh-huh. And what do you do after math? Uh, no. <laughs> now, Clara, are you, are you on the team? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. What position do you play? Fullback. Are you interested in football, Donna? Yes, I am. Uh-huh. What position do you play? Oh, I don't play any position. Oh, yeah. Well, what do you do? No, oh, I just follow the team. You, oh, you do, huh? <laughs> Do they ever wonder what you're doing in the shower? <laughs> How do you feel about athletics in general, Donna? Oh, I like all sports. You do, huh? Mm-hmm. Would you consider an old sport? Like <laughs> It used to be an old vaudeville joke about, uh, you know, the fellow would say, do you like indoor sports? And she'd say yes if he goes home early. <laughs> you don't hear that joke often very often. <laughs> I think that explains why. <laughs> do you have any extracurricular activities? Oh, this, we have an honor organization. You have to have a B and three A's to get into it. That's how you qualify? A B and three A's? Yes, A B and three A's. That's... <laughs> Well, no, you, you'll probably get a sheepskin, won't you? <laughs> now, as a football player, do you observe training rules? Oh, sure. What are, what are the rules? Oh, no drinking, no smoking, and you have to be asleep by nine. Well, that's easy. You get to school at 8.45, you're asleep by nine. <laughs> what do you do in football training? Oh, we scrimmage and wind sprints, run laps. And... Wind sprints? What's wind sprints? Oh. There's no color name, Winsprint. Charlie Winsprint. What is a Winsprint, huh? That's just sprints, short sprints, uh, 40 yards up to 100 or something. No, like the Spencer Wales? Is that no, no relation. No relation at all, right? But what are the fellas wearing on the campus this year, Claire? Anything unusual? Oh, they wear Levi's and no belts. Mm-hmm. You don't wear belts on your jeans? No. Uh-uh. What keeps them up besides the police department? <laughs> Are there any unusual fads among school kids these days, Donna, like swallowing goldfish? Mm, None that I could think of. Surely there must be something strange they're doing. Now, think hard, Donna. Get those blue eyes working. (laughs) Oh, the boys may be dyeing their hair green again. (laughs) Well, I guess you're right. There's nothing unusual about that. (laughs) Well, you're you're nice children. I'm sure you'll both have a lot of fun with the football team this year. Now, uh, in just a minute, you're going to work together for a chance at $1,500. Right now, I want you to pay close attention to Fenneman. All across the country, DeSoto Plymouth dealers are known for the fair and square way they conduct business. In addition to treating you customers with the fairness you deserve, DeSoto Plymouth dealers are headquarters for two of America's outstanding automobiles. The brilliant DeSoto and the beautiful Plymouth. The DeSoto commands attention at every turn with its sweeping, graceful lines. 
DeSoto takes you over the roughest roads smoothly and comfortably because of its full cradled ride. The DeSoto is an economical car to operate, and it lets you enjoy the pleasure of driving without shifting. Be sure to drive a DeSoto before you decide on any car. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. So look for those two great names linked together. DeSoto, Plymouth. Okay, now let's see if you two will get a chance at the $1,500. Fannerman, explain the rules. Uh, each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. A couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. All right, now here we go. Let's see how high you can build you $20. You selected nursery rhymes as your category. Now here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Ten. Ten. How many fiddlers did old King Cole have? Three. Three is right. And they're on their way. They have $30. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. Now, how much of the $30 will you try? Ten. Okay, ten. Ten dollars. <laughs> Who are made out of frogs and snails and puppy dog tails? Boys. Little boys is right. Oh, <laughs> Here's your third question. Now, how much of the 40 will you try? Talk right up now. Twenty. Twenty dollars. How many blackbirds baked in a pie? Four and twenty. Four and twenty is right. <laughs> well, really, right now, you could have sixty dollars. Here's your last chance to be the other couples. Now, how much will you bet? Twenty. twenty. Okay, twenty. What did Daddy promise to bring Baby Bunting? Rabbit. A rabbit skin. And kids, don't go too he far away. Rabbit, but you couldn't bring a rabbit skin without bringing a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell the kids not to go too far away because you still have a chance at the big question at the end of the show. Groucho, our other uh, couples are off stage in a waiting room. Good place for <laughs> So they don't know, you see, the secret word is floor. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a poultryman and a housewife to be on the program. And here they come now. Mrs. Claire Tucker and Mr. Alan Bell meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, children, for your bet your life. And if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Mrs. Claire Tucker, huh? Yes, sir. And uh, Mr. Alan Bell. Yes, sir. Uh, you're a poultry man, is that right? Yes, sir. Where are you from? Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Huh? And uh, Mrs. Uh, Claire Tucker, where are you from? Well, I'm from Long Beach, but I'm originally from Macon, Georgia. Well, I suspected you were south of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> yes, sir. People in Long Beach don't have that kind of an accent. Right? <laughs> they have an accent, but it's not that one. Right? It's a kind of a seaweed accent. They have. How, how long have you been away from Macon, Georgia? Well, I've been out here eight years, but I lived in Miami for about 20 years in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And you prefer Long Beach? Yes, sir. <laughs> And my husband's a Floridian, too, and he's gone Californian strictly. Does your husband know that you go around calling him a Floridian? <laughs> Those are fighting words in some states. <laughs> How long have you been married, Claire? Well, I've been married to this fella ten years. Oh, this, this is Exhibit B? Yes, sir. And the first one? I was married to him 25 years. What does your husband do for a living? He's a carpenter. 
Is that how you nailed him? No, he was with the water company of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, when I uh, What did met he do him. there, block up water? No, <laughs> well, he came out to see about why we didn't have any water at the house. <laughs> he was a uh, meter man. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to meet a man at that time? <laughs> well, <laughs> with nine children. You wanted to meet a man with nine children? I had nine and he had four. Oh, did he know you had nine when he came out to pick him up? <laughs> he didn't know it, but he soon found out. <laughs> are, you, are you married, uh, Al? Yes, sir. Some poultry man. <laughs> Got himself in the coop. <laughs> A DeSoto coop, of course. Huh? Yes, sir. Now, where, where is your poultry shop, Mr. Bell? That's Bell's Poultry Farm, 2636 South Crenshaw, Los Angeles. All right, you can stop crowing now. <laughs> Let's not overdo it, Al, huh? Now, just what do you do as a chicken chase, as a poultry man? Huh? Uh, I retail poultry. You retail poultry, eh? <laughs> that sounds like pretty specialized work. Huh? For example, say a, a rooster has lost his tail. How do you retail a new one? I, uh, I uh, buy wholesale and sell retail. Oh, I see. Do you sell them live? Uh, no, dressed. Well, if you put new tails on them, I'd say they were overdressed. How much would you charge for dressing a chicken? Say about 110 pounds. You and I are thinking of two different kinds of chicken. Okay, you stick to your chickens and I'll stick to mine. Now tell me, drumstick, uh, why is poultry... Uh... Why is poultry so expensive? Well, it's uh, our poultry just a little higher than it was last year. Hmm. If they go much higher, you'll need an anti-aircraft gun to bring them down. <laughs> How much do you charge for a chicken at your place? Well, uh, just depends what kind of a chicken you want. <laughs> well, this is a shop in the dark, but let's say I want to eat it. <laughs> What do you want, a roaster or a fryer or a stewer? I think a stewed chicken would be fun. Uh, well, for that, we'll give you an old hen. I'll thank you to mind your own business. For a guy from Philadelphia, he's plenty sharp, this fellow. Now, how can I tell if your eggs are fresh? Uh, you don't have to worry about my eggs. Look, if you think I'm laying awake at night worrying about your eggs, you're a bigger club than I think you are. Now, what's the most difficult thing about running a poultry shop, Mr. Bell? Well, it's uh, the, the ch- where you get your chickens and uh, where they come from. You're in the poultry business and you don't know where chickens come from? Poultry man, huh? Have you ever wondered where your eggs came from? Uh, my eggs come from Joe Breyer's egg farm in Costa Mesa. That reminds me of an old joke. Which came first, the chicken or Joe Breyer's egg farm? Well, I think you two are a couple of good eggs, and I think you're going to be very happy together. Now, you're going to play your bet your life for $1,500. You run your $20 into more than our other couples, and you'll get a chance at the big question. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but Fetterman's offstage remind our listeners. 
The high school students won $80. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected former Academy Award winners as your category. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Ten. Ten. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. Who won the award in 1942 as Mrs. Miniver? Uh, Greer Garson. Greer Garson is correct. And he's just going away. We now have thirty dollars. You're a smart chicken, Ed Bell. And remember, you're going for fifteen hundred dollars tonight. Now, how much of the how much? Forty dollars. Thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. How much of the thirty dollars will you bet on your second question? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Who won the award in 1945 as the alcoholic writer in the Lost Weekend? Ray Milland. Ray Milland. Now, here's your third question. How much of the uh, $55. $55 will you bet now? $50. $50. Who won the award in 1949 as the politician and all the king's men? Uh, Broderick Crawford. Broderick Crawford is correct. Now, here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much will you bet? $100. $100? Who won the award for her portrayal of Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind? Uh, Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee is correct. <laughs> and we wind up with a grand total of two hundred and five dollars. <laughs> Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Yes, and now we'll soon know who's going to get the chance at the big fifteen hundred dollar DeSoto Plymouth question. Because you see, at this point. The poultryman and the housewife, the people who are just here... Yes, have... I, I remember them. <laughs> <laughs> they have it's two... Quite, quite clear to me, Senator. I was going to say, they are leading with $205. That's a shrewd observation, isn't it, huh? Um, I, um, I guess you know the secret word is still floor. Yes, I do. Still floor is a very nice word. Huh? <laughs> just floor. We invited some people to the program tonight, ladies and gentlemen, who make their living handling money. And just before we went on the air, Miss uh, Connie Conray and Mr. Arthur Gruby were chosen to be on the show. And here they are, Groucho. Folks, meet Groucho Marx, right here. Welcome, folks, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll spend $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Mrs. Uh, Connie Connery, I'm glad to see you. Where, where are you from, Connery? Texas. Texas, and eh? Whereabouts? Crockett. Crockett? That's a small town off of Houston. Oh. Is that named after Davy? Sam. Sam. <laughs> well, wasn't there a Davy Crockett? Uh, David Crockett, Sam Houston. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's slip over to Nacogdoches, huh? <laughs> Mr. Groovy, uh, what, what kind of... Isn't that a kind of an unusual name? What's, well, I think it uh, is Scotch and German. I think originally it was Grub, and uh, somebody changed it and made it G-R-U-B-E instead of G-R-U-B-B. Have you ever shot B-B? Uh, <laughs> not for a long time. Do you prefer Groovy to Grub? I'd say so. Well, if I was hungry, I'd prefer Grub. <laughs> I never ate any groovy. Now, where, where are you from? Uh, uh, New York City, originally. New York City? That's right. And uh, were you born there? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. You haven't got much of a New York accent. Oh, I was born... Uh, where about? On First Avenue. Oh, on First Avenue. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I was born 78th Street. On Third Avenue. Huh? <laughs> Not on... I was born upstairs, but I mean... It was... <laughs> Right over a butcher shop. Huh? You you say you you handle uh, you handle money. Is that right? Uh, yes. says you handle money. Do you still handle money? Uh, are you still uh, in that? I'm place? retired now. Oh, well, if you handle somebody else's money, I can understand why. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what have you retired from, Mr. Groovy? I was with the U.S. Secret Service for 28 years. Shh, not so loud. <laughs> I think there's a dictaphone and a microphone. <laughs> Now, Mrs. Conray, Conray, is that right? Yes. You're a, you're a money expert, too? Well, it passes through my hands. 
It passes through your hands? Well, it passes through mine, too, but I'm a money expert. What is your occupation, uh, Connie? I work in a penny arcade. Oh, pennies from heaven, huh? Uh, Are you what I see when I drop a penny in the peep show machine? Oh, no, you're thinking about the dancing girls. Well, I wasn't, but I could be persuaded. (laughs) What do you do at this penny arcade? I'm the cashier, and I change dollars into pennies. Uh And where do you do your changing? At the Joy Lane Arcade downtown Los Angeles. Uh, Arthur, tell us something about your work. What are your duties as a Secret Service man? Well, our principal uh, function uh, is uh, to protect the President of the United States. Against who? Republicans? (laughs) Have you ever guarded a President? Oh, yes. Uh, I was one of the, in fact, the last man that shook the hands of President Wilson when he left Capitol, Colorado. And uh, right after that, he had his breakdown and subsequently died. And then in 23, when I was up with uh, President Harding in the Northwest, I left him at Seattle. He went down to San Francisco, and he passed away at the Palace Hotel. You're a good fellow to avoid. (laughs) You're what is known as the kiss of death, huh? Well, if that's what you call guarding the presidents, I don't know. Aside from acting as a bodyguard of the presidency, what are some of the other Secret Service duties, Arthur? Well, our principal uh, duty is uh, suppression of counterfeiting. Just how do you work? Suppose somebody gives you a phony $5 bill and you suspect counterfeiters are at work. Uh, how do you track them down? Well, that would all depend. Each individual case has its own, uh, presents its own problem uh, in the course of time and an investigation. If it's determined that a certain gang is operating, why, we frequently try to get an agent in with the gang, gain a conference. Mm-hmm. I see. And did you assume a disguise? Uh, well, uh, not uh, in a sense that you wear a false mustache. And Please, don't make us. Right? <laughs> that is... Uh, I do the insulting around here, Joe. <laughs> that's, uh, that's only in uh, pictures and uh, stories. Well, what's the most interesting job you've worked on, Arthur? Well, that'd be pretty hard to say, but... Uh, well, say it anyway, huh? Uh, <laughs> recently, I... Uh, uh, completed an assignment with 20th Century Fox as a technical advisor on a picture having to do with a secret service called Mr. 880. What does that title come from? Well, there's, uh, it, 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 it relates to an authentic case of an old man in New York who passed counterfeit $1 bills. Well, I'm glad you told me. Now I won't have to go to the picture. Huh? <laughs> have you ever destroyed any large amounts of money? Yes. Uh, shortly after the war broke out, I was sent over to Hawaii and... Uh, Shortly after I got over there, I was joined by some men from the Treasury Department, and uh, we got rid of between 15 and $20 million in genuine currency because uh, the idea was that uh, it would keep it out of the hands of the Japs if they successfully invaded the island. You destroyed $20 million in genuine currency? That's right. And how soon after that did you retire? <laughs> to be exact, about five years. <laughs> well, I think you played it very smart, huh? Congratulations, Arthur. I didn't think you could get away with it. Well, uh, Mrs. Conway, you've been very quiet. Have you learned anything from this man? Oh, yes. What, did you, what have you learned specifically? Oh. Just as I thought, you didn't learn anything. <laughs> Tell us about your penny arcade, Mrs. Conway. Do you have any machines that might interest me? Oh, I think so. We have some punching bags, key ball, rifles, kiss tester, and love meter. What's a love meter? Uh, if you put in a penny, it registers. If you're hot or cold, amorous, shy, bashful. And is it pretty authentic? Oh, yes. Depends on how hard you squeeze, though. Uh-huh. Well, for a nickel, will it keep its mouth shut? <laughs> <laughs> Is 
Suppose I put a penny in the love meter. How do you think I'd register? Well, it depends on how hard you squeezed. Could I, could I try it on you? I suppose so. Well, what am I, uh, Connie? Harmless. <laughs> Connie, are you living in a dream world, huh? <laughs> that is my own fault. I used a counterfeit penny. Huh? Now, you're going to play your bet your life. You beat our other two couples, and you'll get a chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question. I can't tell you how much the other couples won, but Fenneman is offstage to remind our listeners. The poultryman and the housewife are ahead with $205. All right, here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous Williams as your category. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? $10. Uh, $10. Is that all right with you, Connie? All right. All right. What William shot an apple from his son's head? William Taylor. William Taylor is correct. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. Now, how much of your $30 would you try in your second question? Oh, let's make it $18. $18? That's capital figuring, isn't it? Eh? What William created the thin man in the movies? William Powell. William Powell, that's correct. All right, you have $48. All right, you have $48. Here's your third question. How much of the 48 Okay, you name it. 20 Oh, no, 40 anyway. Okay, okay. Okay, $40. All right, here's your third question. You bet $40, all right? What famous politician named William was known as the silver-tongued orator? William Jennings Bryan. William Jennings Bryan. <laughs> All right, now you've got $88. That's the name of that picture, isn't it? $88? All right. <laughs> Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much are you going to bet? We have 88 uh, Let's all of it, huh? Okay. All okay. Of it. What was the name of England's greatest poet and dramatist? His name was William. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Of one hundred and seventy-six dollars, and that means the poultry man and the housewife of two hundred and five dollars get the chance of the Desoto Plymouth fifteen hundred dollar question. when your car needs service. Know-how is the all-important thing. That's why the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America ask you to bring your car to them. They have the know-how to service your car quickly and expertly. The service mechanics at a DeSoto Plymouth Dealers are factory trained. Then they keep their skills up to the minute by taking additional training courses at regular intervals. These courses help a skilled man keep his skills up to date. It's know-how like this that gives you better work in the shortest possible time. And when work is performed quickly and expertly, it means a smaller bill for you. So next time your car needs service, drive in wherever you see the sign of a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And here's the poultry man in the house. All ready for the chance of the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question. All right, now here we go for $1,500. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer, so think carefully and please no help from the audience. Here it is. Each star on our flag represents a state. For $1,500, tell me, what state does the first star represent? In other words, what is the first state to be admitted officially into the Union?
I'll take a stab. My home state, Pennsylvania. No, I'm, I'm sorry. It's Delaware. The correct answer is Delaware, so that means the big question next week will be worth $2,000. Well, you lost the big money, but you won how much? $205 in the quiz. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, when the big question will be worth $2,000. And don't miss Groucho's television show, also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And when you drive in, tell them Groucho sent you. Good night, folks, and remember... Just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America salute all automobile dealers from coast to coast who celebrate National Automobile Dealer Week October 22nd through October 28th. You Bet Your Life is transcribed from Hollywood, produced by John Goodell, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. (laughs) 